Welcome again to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. Glad you're joining us today. I'm going to uh, pick up where I left off last week, get right into our study of church history. I hope you uh, at least will open your mind and heart to the subject of church history. History in general is sometimes boring to people, and some people don't have uh, a lot of interest in it, but really there couldn't be anything more important outside of the Bible than studying what God has done in every age. And so I've had a great love for church history ever since I became a Christian many years ago and have been teaching uh, this subject myself for a number of years. And so I I hope you'll uh, uh, listen to it uh, with an open heart and mind and, and try to learn some things maybe that you haven't heard before. But our subject has really been trying to uh, answer the overall question I've been posing since the beginning of the year in this new season of our podcast, why I am a Baptist. I first spent uh, probably six or seven episodes giving some doctrinal theological reasons why I think historically Baptist, and that that title again we're going to have to remind you, uh, does not include everyone and not everyone who claims to be a Baptist would really be a Baptist in my uh, view, but historically, Baptists have held certain positions biblically that I think are right, and I think they identify the early churches of the New Testament uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, they they line up exactly the same. So I am a Baptist because of Bible doctrine and the position our people have taken. But also now the second main subject that I've just started uh, a few weeks ago now, we've been in maybe a couple of weeks on the subject of church history And I believe you can find historically, since Jesus promised church perpetuity or the doctrine that promises the Lord's churches would be somewhere on the earth in every age from the time Christ started his first church with the apostles until the time he would come and take all believers away, including those in his churches, uh, that doctrine is the basis for true church history. Now, there's church history taught from other positions. I uh, admitted that. And uh, all of us have to do our due diligence and our homework to decide what church history we're going to align ourselves with. Uh, in my humble opinion, if you do not believe that true churches existed in every age and that for some reason they went out of existence and needed the Protestant Reformation or the Reformers to in some way rescue or restore Christianity, uh, then the only thing you're left with is that you'd have to Uh, connect yourself with Catholic history, Catholic church history, which I've said, and doesn't need to be repeated too much, that um, Catholicism is not the true church because of what it believes, and as well as history will not uh, back up the claims that Catholicism is the true church. Uh, Their so-called papal succession back to Peter is bogus, is a lie, And what they have stood for has not been true Christianity, not biblical Christianity. So once you set aside that, the only other history you can connect yourself to is this history that I'm uh, purporting to you now, what I call Baptist church history. Now let me get into uh, this subject today that I kind of hinted at last episode, and that is when I talk about a succession of true churches or a line or perpetuity of churches to this present day, we're not trying to make a claim for the name Baptist alone or the title Baptist. In fact, I don't even have to be connected with that or forced to uh, prove a connection of Baptist churches back to Christ. Remember, in the New Testament, there was no name given to the early churches. 
the best you could come up with in the book of Acts is they were called the way, churches of the way, or the brethren. They were first called Christians at Antioch, but even that title was given to them by outsiders, non-believers. So we're not claiming any originality or connection to a name as if we can prove that there was a church with a sign out front that said Baptist all the way back to the time of Christ. In fact, until modern times, say the last 200 years or so, our churches didn't even have buildings. They were persecuted so badly that they had to meet in caves and woods and houses, hidden away from uh, public eye in many cases. And so this idea that you could in some way show a Baptist church in every age by the title on the door or the sign or whatever is, is not at all what we're proving. What we're saying is that churches that held the same doctrine and practice that modern Baptists do today, historic Baptists like the church I pastor, our churches have a continuous line back to Christ. And if we don't, then who does continue that line? Catholicism? Uh, no, they can't be the ones who perpetuated true Christianity. They never were truly Christian to begin with. If you if you jump on the bandwagon of the Protestant reformers, then you're 1,500 years too late uh, to say that the Lord's churches have been in existence back from the time of Christ. Now, the key to this is understanding that various churches, various movements of churches, groups, and consisting of, of course, individual uh, assemblies of baptized believers. That's what an ecclesia, a church is. It's a called-out assembly a group of born-again, baptized believers that meet together under proper leadership with the proper motive of glorifying Christ and carrying out His Great Commission, uh, observing the ordinances and practicing church discipline and love and, and uh, fellowship and so on. So in that regard, we could say there's been true churches in every age. And I want to go through today in our uh, lesson uh, some of the various names that were given to our people in various times throughout history, uh, whereas today, primarily our people are called Baptist, they weren't always called Baptist, okay? They were called by many, many other names. Uh, in the church history class that I teach at a seminary here in Fort Worth uh, right now, I go through the first several uh, weeks of our lessons just uh, familiarizing the uh, students with the various names of our Baptist people. And I call them Baptists because that's what they were. They believed and practiced what we as Baptists do today. Uh, now, some of these are uh, more well-known than others, and I'm not going to give you every one of them. There's a lot of them. I will say a couple preliminary statements about these names of our people. Uh, first of all, most, and uh, if not in every case, probably every case, uh, the title that I'm going to give you was given to our people, not by themselves. They didn't take it for themselves. It was given to them by their detractors, by those who denounced or disagreed or in many times persecuted, even unto death, uh, these groups. Uh, most of the names uh, are given for their leaders. In other words, there'd be some great pastor or great spokesman, great preacher, uh, leader among this group, and the uh, the Roman Catholic authorities, or later the Protestants would do this too, but primarily uh, Roman Catholicism would name that group after that leader. But some of the names were also given to them because of a location where they primarily existed, or maybe a particular principle or practice that, that identified them, some descriptive title. 
Now, some of these, let me go through these with you, and, and I'm not going to get bogged down into all the details in a, in a podcast like this. I'll give you these names. You can do the study. Believe me, there's plenty of historical information to prove that these churches existed, these groups existed, um, and you can do your own study. One of the first groups were called the Montanist uh, in the second century, just a hundred years or so after uh, the death of all the apostles and, and Christianity continued. Uh, then we have uh, the groups called the Novationist. We have a group called the Donatist. Those three particular groups were named after leaders, Montanist, Novation, Donatist. Uh, an early name was, was an al- also given to our people. They were called the Cathari. The Cathari was from a word that meant pure ones. Uh, see, the reason our churches took some of these names as far as their description of their churches is because of doctrines and practices they held. One of the key doctrines that our early Baptist people held to was a pure, regenerate church membership. Now, this is going to dovetail into some of our previous lessons on doctrine and what we believe as Baptists, but it, it, it's worthy, or worth saying right here that uh, our people have always stood for the biblical New Testament teaching that only saved, truly born-again people can be a part of the Lord's uh, uh, local church, the assembly, the ecclesia. Uh, now, that is far different than what is held by Roman Catholicism and even in uh, Protestantism later that would keep too much Catholicism, in my opinion. And uh, people can be a part of those groups through infant baptism and without even growing old enough to make a decision for Christ themselves. But these early groups stood for things like that. Well, let me go on. Then we come, uh, come to other groups like the Paulicians. The Paulicians were a main group of Baptists back from around the 7th century and on. I have to tell you, these names, sometimes they overlap. Uh, some of the same people uh, in certain centuries, these early centuries especially, they could be uh, located at different places existing at the same time. Remember, they didn't take these names for themselves. You can't find a, you know, First Donatist Church of so-and-so or a, a Novation Church. No, there was no names for the people that they took themselves. These were what their uh, opposition called them and named them. And so you need to keep that in mind. So we talked about the Paulicians uh, in the 7th century. They were a, a very well-known group. Uh, all these groups I'm mentioning by name have connection with two things again, what they believed and what they practiced. This is why we call them Baptist. Again, it doesn't matter what the name of a church is. It matters what they believe and practice, what they carry out. And so, like I said, on the other side of that, I can make the same point that there's churches that could be called Baptist today that are not truly Baptist because they have abandoned uh, true Baptist doctrine from the past or true Baptist practice uh, in the past. And so, again, a name is not as important as what the church stood for and believed and carried out. So we go on. We have other well-known groups uh, there's groups called the Albigenses. They were named after a city in France called Albi. Uh, there were uh, groups named after leaders again. The Petrobrussians were named after a man named Peter de Broys. Uh, there were a group called the Henricians, named after a man named Henry. Uh, there were uh, people uh, that were called uh, by various names, uh, the Lollards. 
in England and later even up into the Reformation at the time of the great uh, man um, John Wycliffe who translated the first English Bible or gave us the first in very early English, what would be called Anglo-Saxon. At the time of John Wycliffe in the late 1300s, the group that was well-known for their positions that would be Baptists in belief and practice were called the Lollards. And again, there's much history on these groups. I'm just quickly, for sake of time, uh, going through these just to remind you of some of them so you'll know them. Uh, there were other groups that we can call the, uh, there were the Arnoldists, there were the Lionists, there were the Eukites, uh, there were, and I'm naming some of these that I go over with our people, the Picards in Northern Europe. The Picards were a uh, well-known group. The, um, the, the Hussites, named after John Huss, who was martyred in 1415 uh, by uh, Roman, the Roman Catholic Council. Uh, we, we get... Uh, various other names, but let me uh, really focus in on several of the main names. And really, when I think of it, there's there's two or three that come out that really need special uh, attention. One of the names of our people uh, that held doctrine like we hold today, back during the day when they existed and were strong throughout much of Europe, uh, were a group called the Waldensians or the Waldenses. Um, the Waldenses were a group of people that claim by their own writings, their own historical um, writings of themselves, that they existed back to the times of Christ. That's their claim, and I happen to agree with it because of perpetuity, and I agree with it because of what they stood for. This particular group is, is so important because not only were they one of the longest-lasting uh, identifiable groups that held Baptist doctrine and practice, but they also uh, have a, a lot of um, attention given to them during the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages, if I didn't say it last week, when you talk about Christian history from the first century to today, about a thousand years of that history, a big long portion, almost, well, we could say half of it, definitely half of Christian history nearly, was taken up with a period called the Dark Ages, or secular historians call it the Middle Ages. I call it the Dark Ages really from about 500 to 1500 A.D., during that thousand years, the Waldensian Christians played a very important and pivotal role. Uh, they were called Waldenses from a name uh, that derived itself from valleys, uh, from the mountainous valleys in what we now call an area known as the Swiss Alps. This would be far northern Italy, France, and southern Switzerland. The Alps mountain ranges there, and they existed in a special place called the Piedmont Valley. That's primarily where they have their origins, uh, but they went and, and existed and lived in these valleys primarily for protection during the terrible persecutions uh, of true Christians, primarily at the hands of Roman Catholicism. These Waldensi Christians uh, Baptist by what they believed and practiced. We know because we have records of what they stood for. We, have, we know what their preachers preached and what they believed. We have doctrinal statements from the Waldenses in 1100, for instance. And we can examine those and see what their primary doctrinal beliefs were. And we know they were Baptists. No, they weren't called Baptists. That's not the point. Point is, they believe what we do today. And they practice the very same things we do today as far as New Testament church Christianity. 
And these Waldensies were a tremendously important people because they were vast in numbers. They believed in missions. They left their, their safety and seclusion of the Piedmont Valley primarily and went all throughout Europe. And I'll tell you how we know a lot about them because many of their missionaries who went out two by two and, and reached the entire uh, continent of Europe uh, uh, during the Dark Ages especially, uh, many, many thousands, if not into the millions, uh, were martyred, were put to death for their faith because of what they stood for. And so these Waldensies uh, were such an important people. Now, I have to tell you that they eventually went out of existence like most of these groups did, either by persecution or they would uh, give up on some doctrinal position or uh, practice they held and they would go off and, and, and be identified with another non-Baptist group. And unfortunately, that's what later happened to the Waldensians. They uh, ended up becoming uh, more acclimated to the Reformation in the Reformation period, and many of them followed the doctrines of Luther and Calvin and lost their Baptist identity. Uh, in my opinion, that's what I believe happened. And uh, today, you may find uh, a particular Waldensian uh, congregation over in Europe, but they would not hold to what their former Baptist forefathers believed. But the, the Waldensians were a very important group. Now, there is another title that I want to make sure we mention because it was so often brought out uh, throughout the, uh, the entire history of our people. And it's kind of where, not completely, but where we get our modern name Baptist. And that is, uh, our people were called by the title Anabaptist. Anabaptist, A-N-A, Baptist. Uh, and the word Anna, the little prefix added to Baptist, was given to us by our detractors, by our enemies, those who hated us and sought to wipe out our people, because we believed in something that uh, was very important to our people then. I think it's still important. And that is that our people would not accept baptism uh, from another uh, group, whether no matter what it claimed otherwise, if that group was not sound in doctrine. Uh, primarily what it was is our people would not accept those who had been baptized as infants by the state church or Roman Catholicism. So if a person later in life came to a true conversion, a true faith in Jesus Christ, and desired to unite with one of our congregations, if they had previously been baptized as an infant, our people would not accept that as a valid baptism, and rightly so. We talked about the ordinances in a previous podcast, and I would uh, encourage you to go back and listen to that if you didn't hear it already, but the ordinances are important. They're not to be taken lightly. Jesus told us to go into all the world, not only to make disciples, but baptize the converts. So baptism has to be important. And since our people would not accept the baptism of, of the Roman Catholic system and later the Protestants either, because we did not believe that their church had not only the right doctrine, they were off on their doctrine, but also they did not have, we believe, authority from God to carry on the ordinance of baptism. And since we then would rebaptize them, that's what the Catholics and Protestants would call it, uh, they named us Anabaptists. Now, let me say right off the bat that our people never called themselves Anabaptists, and they did not consider the baptism they were performing upon that individual as being any kind of a second or rebaptizing. They believed it to be the first and only true baptism. So, so the name 
Anabaptist, as it's been very popularly known in, uh, especially during the Dark Ages and up into the Reformation, our people were still called Anabaptists exclusively. Uh, that title becomes probably the most well-known title for our people. Now, let me just give you a warning that I always give in anytime you're teaching history. I alluded to this last week, but I need to remind you about it again today. A couple of things. First of all, number one, um, be careful of titles because people like to lump everybody into a group no matter what they believe. I have to tell you that the Catholic system, as well as later the Protestants during the Reformation and into even the 18-1900s, uh, Protestants would always lump anybody who wasn't on their side or uh, didn't identify exactly with what they believed as being an Anabaptist. The Catholics, of course, did that prior to the Reformation. Anybody that did not submit to the state church, uh, this uh, system known as Catholicism. Uh, if you were in any way against the state church, you were just called an Anabaptist. Now, not everybody that was called an Anabaptist would have held true Baptist beliefs and doctrines. There's all kinds of misinformation out there and, and, and uh, lies told about our people and, and making our people uh, out to be uh, murderers and killers and adulterers and practicing incest and blood sacrifices of our children, all kinds of unbelievable nonsense and, and false information that, of course, was not true. But be careful of titles uh, because history has a bad habit of just wanting to throw anybody into a uh, a title into a pigeonhole stereotype into a group when we uh, need to be more careful of making sure what these groups believed. Uh, but the other thing we need to be very careful about, not only that uh, some, some people are, are stereotyped uh, in these groups, uh, but also we need to be careful of the idea uh, that uh, certain groups uh, that uh, or that every one of these groups may have had uh, some differences in beliefs. We're not saying that every Montanus, every Novation, every Donatus, every uh, Cathari, every Polish, and every Waldensian believed exactly the same way as we do today, and that every one of them was straight as an arrow on their doctrine and practice. Just because you can find a particular person in a movement, one of these ones that I've named, that may have been off on something they believed or maybe went off into heresy in some way, that does not exclude or cancel out that entire group. I hear and have read of things that said that Montanists, for instance, were people who believed in extra-biblical revelation and all kinds of fanciful dreams and visions and all kind of Pentecostal-type uh, activities. I'm not going to say that every Montanist was straight as an arrow on what, what they believed, but I'm going to tell you this, the general principles that those people stood for and what they left us were Baptist. Hey, I bet in your church... You would want your entire church movement or group that you're associated with judged by everybody in your church. You may have someone in your church that, that's not even saved, that maybe is even a member, claims to be saved. Maybe, maybe they're not even living right outside of the church. You wouldn't want your church judged by them. So the idea that you, know, you could find some people throughout history that are identified with these movements or churches that were off on their doctrine in no way undermines the entire position or principle that I'm that I'm espousing here, okay? Uh, yes, there were Waldensies that would be off on a doctrinal point that I would agree with, uh, but you could find that in any group today. 
You could find it among, uh, you know, Baptists today, among uh, any other particular group, uh, Bible churches, uh, Calvary churches, non-denominational churches, uh, by, uh, any kind. You could just name them, and you could find people that that are part of those groups that would not hold to all the doctrines and positions that group might have historically believed. So let me try to put that to rest, that whole argument that, oh, you could find some uh, real crazy weirdos in these groups. Uh, for, exa- for example, uh, there is a rebellion that happened in the 1500s in Germany called the Munster Rebellion. And it was a group of, of people, uh, poor peasants, who rose up against the aristocracy in Germany uh, and committed some atrocious things. I, I'm not in any way justifying what they did. They killed a lot of people and so forth. And just because they were rebellious and just because they were not a part of the mainstream Lutheran movement at that time, they were called Anabaptists. And so now everybody thinks the Anabaptists were like the Munster Rebellion people that killed everybody and and were, and, and were riotous, looting, uh, you know, basically barbaric, anarchist-type people. Uh, and they write off the whole Anabaptist movement because of an episode that, that occurred uh, from people who were not true Anabaptists. The Munster uh, Rebellion, the people in that city, in that area that carried out that rebellion were not true Baptists. You can find out what they believe. If you read closely and get into the historical details, those people weren't Baptists. They were just lumped into that category because the Catholic and Protestant state churches uh, all hated the Baptists and lumped anybody into that group that they disagreed with. So I, I think that's important. Now, let me go back. Uh, so that was some various names, and there's some more I could give, but I wanted to, to, to go forward here because our time will get away from us. Um, last week, I began to show you in Revelation 2 and 3 how that many uh, modern uh, contemporary Baptists and other groups who believe in church history and teach church history have seen some symbolism, if not some correlation, symbolically at least, between the seven churches that Jesus wrote to in Revelation 2 and 3, through the Apostle John, of course, to the seven periods of church history, or seven periods that they they come up with. And I talked to you about those uh, last week, the first three. The church at Ephesus would picture the uh, New Testament church up to 100 AD. The church at Smyrna would picture the church from 100 to uh, 325, uh, where great persecution was going on. The third church at Pergamos would, would picture the church from 325 to 500, that period of church history. And monumental things were happening. In 325, we told you about Constantine making Christianity the state religion. But it wasn't a good thing because he was beginning what would later become and grow into the Roman Catholic system of a state church where the secular and the spiritual was united in a system that forced people by the rule of the state state government to observe only Christianity uh, and the kind of Christianity that it taught. See, here we are in America. We enjoy and observe and are thankful for religious freedom, that in America, you don't have to be any certain faith. You don't have to believe anything at all if you don't want to. The original founders came from, from Europe where all these state churches have been set up. That's one of the problems with the reformers, in my opinion, that they not only uh, did they keep too much Catholicism in their doctrine, but they set up state churches just like the Catholic Church had established and then end up persecuting people that did not believe like they did. 
And so we believe in religious freedom. Well, that was not the case uh, with, with the early uh, foundational a system that Constantine set up with state and church uniting, and that would become this big uh, monstrosity known as, as the state church of Roman Catholicism. Now, from 500 to 1500, that period known as the Dark Ages, that particular uh, period of church history, uh, the longest really we could say from 500 to one. Uh, to 1500, 1,000 years, I think is pictured uh, by the church of Thyatira in chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Again, we're not saying that you don't take the direct interpretation of what Jesus wrote to each of these seven churches. Yes, they were literal churches in Asia Minor. Yes, we're to compare our church today and learn lessons about church work from them. Don't deny any of that. Please don't misunderstand. I'm saying that there has been better minds than mine, much smarter men than myself, who have seen at least some symbolic connection between these seven churches and seven periods in church history. And I do think there is something there. And if that be the case, then Thyatira pictures that thousand-year period known as the Dark Ages. And you can read that for yourself. I'm not going to take the time, but there's a lot in that about the the uh, the doctrine uh, that that is called uh, and that in which have not known the depths of Satan. There's all kinds of uh, doctrines about Jezebel and so forth. And I'll leave that to you to read. But what I'm going to tell you is that during that thousand years, known as the Dark Ages, our people, known by many different names that I've already went over with you were persecuted terribly uh, by two primary groups, mainly by Roman Catholicism. Uh, during that period, uh, the popes, all the way through that thousand years, many of them were worse than, worse, some were worse than others. Not all of them were exactly as, as horrifying as others, but all of them were against our movement, and they carried out systematic attempts to wipe out our people. I'm not just making this up. This is historical fact, and I would encourage you uh, to read about these two events that I'm going to discuss quickly right now and just bring them out. Maybe next podcast we'll get into a little bit more detail. Uh, but there were two primary times that we know our people were persecuted by Roman Catholicism, and that is, number one, the Crusades, and number two, the Inquisition. Uh, the Crusades, if you're not familiar with them, started at the end of the uh, uh, 11th century, 1098, I believe, the First Crusade. What they basically were were, were attempts by uh, the Pope at that point uh, to raise up armies to go from Rome all the way to the Promised Land to uh, Israel, what it was once known at that time. It wouldn't have been Israel, but it would have been what we know as the Holy Land to retake the Holy Land from the Muslim uh, Turks, the Muslim uh, people who had taken over the Holy Land and, and controlled many of the holy sites and so on, the places where Jesus and the apostles had walked and so on. And so Catholicism thought it was their duty to take back those holy sites. But what they did is raised up armies. And many of those armies uh, traveled by land from Italy and other places in Europe all the way down to the Holy Land in the Middle East. Uh, and on the way, as they made these journeys, uh, they would kill and rape and pillage and loot uh, innocent Christians, Jews, Muslims, uh, anyone who got in their way. Uh, there is no doubt that these crusades are one of the darkest and blackest 
periods of human history. And what people don't realize is that many of the Crusades and this whole idea of the Crusades of taking back the Holy Land was really more to rescue, uh, they said, the Crusaders thought, rescue the world from a false Christianity in their view or from the Muslims, Islam, or from the Jews uh, and so on, all the groups that they hated. And our people particularly, under the names that I gave you, and, and, and we can see this by many historical documents, were among those killed terribly by the, in the Crusades. Uh, but also, nearly at the same time, were what we call the Inquisition. And the Inquisition was basically a legal system set up by Roman Catholicism. Somewhere around the 1200s is when it started, but we can even see uh, glimpses of it before that when the Catholic system, I don't like to call it a church. If I call it the Catholic Church, just pardon me, that's not a good title because it's not really a church. It's a system. Uh, but the Catholic system uh, set up a court and legal system through the state churches all over Europe. Remember, they dominated all, all the countries in Europe were under Catholic domination. The Pope ruled like a Caesar over all of Europe. In all the individual uh, countries like France and Spain and Italy and, and up into Germany and, and England even, uh, all the, those countries uh, did obeisance. They, they bowed down to the popes and, and, and literally were doing their bidding at their beck and call, and so, or at his beck and call, the popes. And through the Inquisition, the Catholics sent out representatives of the Catholic system to all these countries, and they uh, literally arrested, tried, and killed millions of Christians simply because they did not believe in Roman Catholicism, its doctrines, its power, its, its domination over people's lives. Many of our Baptist people, known by these various names that I went over with you a moment ago, were put to death, mainly for not submitting to Catholic baptism for their children as infants, for rebaptizing adults when they were converted and came to our assemblies. If you were found to have been a rebaptizer or an Anabaptist, as I mentioned, you were, you were put to death for believing that the Pope was not the vicar of Christ, that the Catholic te teachings were not biblical, that the worship of Mary and the Mass and the whole papal system was an abomination, which our people always said and taught, and later the Protestants would get on that same bandwagon and agree with many of the things that our people had been teaching a thousand years, long before Luther and, and Calvin were ever even thought of. Our people were standing against Roman Catholic tyranny, uh, heresy, the things that they taught that were anti-biblical. And for that, many, many, many of our people died. A cruel, agonizing deaths. What people don't realize is many of the instruments of torture that we see used in the Dark Ages were the inventions of the Roman Catholic system. Uh, the thumbscrew, the rack, the wheel, uh, where people were killed in slow and torturous ways. Uh, people were thrown in dungeons and starved to death and forgotten. Many were burned at the stake, of course. That was one of their primary ways of, of killing heretics. They were kind of mocking that they were going to go to hell anyway, so they burned their body as if that would prefigure their burning their soul in hell. 
Later, many of our people were, were, were drowned in rivers because we believed in immersion, that baptism has to be by immersion under the water. So in a mockery and a ridicule of that teaching, many of the Catholic authorities would take women especially of our Baptist people and put them in sacks, tie the sack closed at the, at the top and throw them in the rivers or tie some block to their, to their waist and throw them overboard from a boat and drown them in rivers. Many, many of our people died that way. And we have very good and very uh, uh, often a, a very ready uh, documentation to prove this. The, the amount of existing historical documentation to prove these atrocities against uh, our people is, is very, very well known. I think maybe next time, as we're running out of time for this podcast, but I'm going to read from a document next week, maybe read you a couple of excerpts from a document that records uh, the death of literally thousands of our people in this one document, uh, how they died at the hands of Roman Catholicism. But not only Roman Catholicism. I must tell you that uh, Islam, uh, which we know arose around the uh, year 670 with Muhammad and his death, and it was carried on by uh, his followers after his death, uh, Islam became a great enemy of all Christianity, and especially of true Christianity, and it literally wiped out Christians that had lived in North Africa and existed there for seven, eight centuries. They drove out all the Christians from North Africa and from the Middle East, uh, and as you know, if you know your history, eventually warred with Catholic armies for even controlling the entire continent of Europe as the Muslims came up through Spain uh, and, and tried to basically invade all of Europe, and they finally were, were uh, held in check and stopped uh, in a Spanish, uh, in a war in Spain where the Catholic Church and its armies uh, held them back. But can you imagine, by the way, that a group, Roman Catholicism, calling itself the true church of our Lord, the bride of Christ, the vicar of Christ, literally, not only did it kill innocent Christians by the thousands, and they cannot deny that, though they are very quiet about it today, uh, but also raised up military armies to actually fight for the cause of Christ, they claimed, killing many, many innocent people. And so next week, what I'll do to begin our uh, podcast is I'll try to go a little bit more into detail and talk about uh, the Inquisition and the Crusades and give you maybe some uh, reading of some of these great documents. There's a lot of them out there. You just have to do your homework and be willing to take the time to read. But I want to get into the Reformation too. We've covered the Dark Ages and I'm just giving you a quick basic overview of church history and why I'm a Baptist, why our people uh, continued throughout these these centuries to this very day and why I identify myself with these groups because of what they stood for, what they believed. Well, remember our motto we end our program with every week, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you now.